This is the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, a podcast brought to you by two physical therapists devoted to helping physical therapists and other healthcare providers become better educators to patients, students, the community, and each other by interviewing prominent and passionate people within the realms of healthcare and education. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast is intended literally for educational and entertainment purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based on only one source, and therefore, this podcast should not be used as personal medical advice. While care has been taken to ensure accuracy, occasionally, mistakes and factual errors can be present, as we are only human. This is our journey on the road to becoming better educators, so get ready with your pen and paper as class is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Pone. We have a great guest for you tonight. Uh, Dr. Ben Fung is in the house. Uh, as an independent media producer and startup entrepreneur, Ben is a healthcare clinician turned social media connector with experience in optimizing growth for companies and investors in various industries, including healthcare, geotechnology, human resources, and marketing. Ben serves as a COO of Updoc Media, a marketing agency for health tech businesses, and a CFO of Recharge, an investor-backed CrossFit physio mindfulness hybrid with a mission to redefine the healthcare experience by breaking down the silos of medicine, health, fitness, and wellness. Well, Ben, I think Brandon and I both have you to thank for kind of bringing us together for this podcast. Uh, Brandon had this great idea and reached out to you, um, and you kind of knowing my current predicament and stance on education, you kind of guided him in my direction. Uh, you know, we talked it over a little bit, and boom, a few weeks later, the podcast was born. So thank you for bringing us together. Uh, and now, Ben, if you don't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your academic background? Because um, I kind of feel like my story is similar to yours, where I was, you know, mainly a B student, kind of had a low GPA. Uh, I was an English major, which was a weird fit. Um, but I still went on to not only get into PT school, but kind of parlayed into a relatively successful career. You bet. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, next week I am going back to my undergrad alma mater where I... Uh, so expertly curated the lowest GPA of my life <laughs> to, speak, to speak at an NIH-sponsored event as their keynote. Um, so I, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a tale to share for sure, as well as a, a point of uh, reality and encouragement for those that uh, may not have the most shining uh, GPA. So uh, in my academic pursuits, uh, like many in, 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 say, high school, you know, they're telling you, you know, take the most advanced courses you can, you know, if you can go directly to college, do that, if you can take AP, do that, and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And uh, the goal was to get to the top 10% of your school. And I didn't even meet that, even though I, I did have fairly good grades. Uh, and it was a struggle. I think I did well enough just because I, I didn't sleep. And that's kind of where my non-sleeping lifestyle began in the uh, the mid-late teens. And then uh, into undergrad was uh, at UCSD, uh, Ravel College. And uh, I pursued a major in bioengineering pre-medical. It used to be called bi uh, biomedical engineering, BMEs. Um, now it's just called BEs, I guess, or, or BENG. Uh, and then I eventually got a, uh, a degree, a minor in psychology as kind of a, a side interest, but also as a way to hopefully boost that GPA, which ultimately landed at 2.8. Uh, <laughs> not exactly the highest out there. Very nicely done. Very nicely oh, yeah. done. I think I was right about there with you. Just like, under I, the three <laughs> level. I feel like the Olympic gymnast that landed and like fell, right, and rolled 20 times and then got up and then, you know, threw my arms up in the air like I, I stuck the landing anyway. <laughs> and, the, you know, it, it worked <laughs> out. Wild. Yeah, the crowd goes wild. I recover it. I, t I totally intentional. Um, in any case, you know, I, I went down that route for a while and, and like many that you know, get completely rocked by undergrad, uh, demoralized, depressed, even, um, you know, I just decided, you know, I'll just hit the workforce, you know, I'll become a bartender. I'm in San Diego. I'll just surf and bartend. That'll be good. Uh, eventually, um, you know, that didn't go well with my family. This, no, you got to get a real job. <laughs> so uh, they, they had me volunteer at a, a, at a health facility that had a physical therapy department. They're like, Oh, you're into sports, right? I don't think, I guess like martial arts, but not sports. I'm like, well, people get hurt in martial arts, don't they? I'm like, yeah, sure. Don't you want to know how they get better? I'm like, oh, sure, why not? You know, like, if you're going to make me, you know, twist my arm, let's do it. So uh, I, I volunteered at a, uh, a physical therapy clinic 
and uh, loved it. You just loved every part of it, the engaging people, uh, just being the, you know, basically the unpaid aid or the unpaid tech. And I thought, you know, hey, I could do this. And uh, eventually one of the managers said, hey, you should uh, apply for a job. We happen to have an opening, wink, wink. And so I did, um, which took away my bartending hours. And uh, so then I was a PT tech and uh, surfed for quite some time. Uh, and eventually the, the, the clinicians there are like, look, you're, you're too smart and too young to just do this for the rest of your life. And so they encouraged me to, uh, to go and, and become a full fledged PT. And so I had to go to junior college, grab some of the prereqs that, uh, the UCs didn't have at the time. Um, and eventually applied, uh, got like a mediocre GRE and then, uh, got in, <laughs> I actually got into the first uh, place that I uh, applied to. Uh, and I think, it really wasn't, it had nothing to do with any of my marks. It had everything to do with the fact that I was probably the most awkward interviewee amongst the entire cohort. Uh, and so they let me in. And that's where everything changed. Um, that's where everything changed. Because uh, before then, I would say I, w- I saw myself as a mediocre, uh, at best, academician. You know, like I, I knew enough to, to get somewhat okay grades. I knew how to get terrible grades in a, uh, a large university system. Uh, I knew that I was smart enough or at least had the intellectual capacity to process knowledge in a meaningful way, but I couldn't exactly put that down on paper when the Scantron came around. And when when PT school came, it came to that like back against the water point. Like I knew, you know, this was for reals now. Like I couldn't really dig myself out of any any of this kind of debt. So I have to make this real. And uh, I never studied so hard in my life. And I ended up uh, graduating with honors there. And then later graduating with honors uh, for my MBA, my online MBA with the University of Michigan. Uh, and ever since kind of turning that academic curve where I was once labeled this terrible undergrad student, you know, uh, academic probation and all. Um, but then now now twice uh, graduate schooled uh, with honors. So that's uh, that's my story in a pinch for school. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic story, Ben. And thank you for sharing that. And I think that just serves as a fantastic reminder to all those listening that how, you know, the tables can turn very quick. And I think that was very inspiring. So thank you. Now, Ben, you had the honor and privilege of speaking at this year's combined sections meeting, which for those that don't know, is the big annual physical therapy conference. And your topic was heavy into discussion of social media. Do you think you could give our audience a little summary or your big take home messages from that talk regarding your outlook on social media? Sure thing. I mean, social media now is just the way people connect. It used to be, you know, a pen pad, paper, phone, handshakes. Uh, We have all that now. Now we add the dimensions of all the various social media platforms out there. And and, and the crux of at least my segment of the knowledge, and, you know, I I had the honor of sharing the stage with, um, you know, Greg Todd and Rich Severin and Brett Kestenbaum. And, you know, we all kind of gave a different uh, prism lens view of, of how social media plays in the practice of physical therapy as the private practitioner, as the academician, as a new grad, and for myself, as uh, a social media connector and marketer. And, you know, my, my crux really had to do with connecting the the physios, the, the clinician mind with the consumer mind and to speak in their language and to make daily shares or at least regular shares of the wins that our patients have all the time. Uh, and that if we do that, if we can be so consistent about uh, putting our customers as our heroes on pedestals uh, for the efforts, because truly it's their, their efforts and their wins. We're there to guide them. Um, then all of a sudden we have a brand of a community you know, or the community. We have the brand of the public, um, something that can be shared, uh, victory shared by all. And, and that was really the the uh, the umph of, of what I was trying to get at for, you know, for many of the uh clinicians that were there and the students and the uh, the professors, uh, a lot of them were on social media on multiple platforms, uh, but many were were not. Uh, there's a little bit of fear, there's a little bit of uh, a fear of, of coming across as not professional or, or breaching privacy or, or blending personal and, and professional uh, branding, if you will. Um, but really, none of that exists anymore, especially because of social media. Now, those who are authentic are accessible and those who are accessible are trustworthy. Yeah, Ben, I I couldn't agree with you more on that. It just, you know, reaching out, you know, and getting to, to interact with a lot of our peers and, and a lot of um, other professionals has, has been an amazing 
kind of transformation for me personally. Um, I actually got to meet you in real life for the first time at, at this year's CSM. Um, and it was amazing to see the following that you and Gene Schrockabout have amassed in, in a relatively short period of time. You know, uh, the thing that impressed me the most was most of the people there were generally uh, very young and very eager physical therapists and physical therapy students. You know, um, why do you think you guys at UpDoc Media are such a big draw for these young folks? I think we're a big draw for kind of the developing professional, if you will, uh, because we were just there. You know, I'm 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 only eight years out, uh, and, and it's funny because when I say that, I, I still feel like I'm I'm a new grad. <laughs> I don't know why, but I you know I look at the calendar, I look at my phone, and I you know I'm like, huh, like I still, I guess I've been out here for a while, but I still feel kind of fresh. And I think, um, I think that's a that's an attitude. Uh, it's a mindset that I think um, is relevant that, you know, we chatted about, uh, you know, in the pre-show, uh, which is the willingness to learn always, you know, though always to to be willing to learn no matter what comes along and to always hold yourself in a, in a position and posture that you don't know at all, but you're willing to collaborate to find out what that, uh, what that next thing is, what that um, truth in that moment is. I think the other thing that we do that is very different, <clears throat> excuse me, that, uh, different from a lot of the other brands out there uh, is we give. Um, we give uh, unquestionably and uh, without asking. Uh, we started the UpDoc Media footprint by blending the uh, Therapy Insiders podcast as well as my personal blog uh, and the co-founders, you know, kind of mutual personal brands all into one thing that was then called UpDoc Media. And uh, for myself, the first thing that we put out there uh, since I was known as a blogger at the time uh, was the, I think it was called the PT Job Market Outlook 2.0. And I had the 1.0 on my website um, and, and personal blog, but it wasn't really fleshed out. And, and the 2.0, I fleshed it out a lot. And it was really the precursor to what is now known as the PT Job Market Pulse, which uh, is a live trended uh, open source data set that anybody can look at. And uh, it trends by you know, PT setting, location, even as precise as zip code, uh, by experience levels, by full-time equivalents, that's normalized for full-time equivalents. I mean, it kind of it kind of gets a little crazy. And there's been some fun requests because we resent it out lately. Uh, but all to say, we don't charge for any of that. And that's stuff that, I mean, there's that stuff that employers can barely get their hands on that the US government can't get you know, their hands on until a year or two later, because they don't have the, the resources to process the data so quickly. Uh, and, and we don't charge for it at all. And, and everything that we do, we do uh, first and foremost out of goodwill to elevate our profession from within, and then to make business gains on a mutually beneficial level with the people that come in as our clients and our customers. Yeah, no, for sure, Ben. And, you know, and I can totally attest to that, you know, with all the content that you guys are giving out. And I think at least from my perspective, you know, what kind of really draws me to your guys' company is I first kind of found out about you guys when I was kind of in my later part of school. And, you know, just seeing the content that you guys put out there that was free and the fact that it was kind of so different in terms of I've never heard this stuff yet before, like from any clinical, like from when I was in clinicals or when I was in, even when I was in school. And I was like, holy cow, this stuff is what I feel like I should be learning too. So, I mean, I got to admit, that's one of the big reasons that at least I, that drew, that drew me to you guys. I think that's, that's absolutely huge. And I think kind of skipped my mind because uh, content and topic transparency is something that's just part of the culture of, of what we created at UpDoc. And, and, and a lot of the taboo subjects are stuff that we're trying to unveil because we feel that, well, we feel we also know just based off some of the, the business HR and, and general um, like economic studies out there. The more that there's shared information, the better entities can work together for for better gain. Um, it has a lot to do with uh, just economic dynamics out there, and and like you said, like never heard talk about stuff before, like how do you negotiate salary, or you know what uh, what reimbursement rates are actually like, or why PTs are paid a certain way, or uh, you know just general career path stuff uh, really isn't covered in school because school is primarily covering uh, the the competencies and didactics required to become an efficient clinician uh, and to pass the boards. But there's all sorts of other things that were previously taboo that, you know, just intrinsically believe shouldn't be, never should have been taboo uh, and, and can only stifle us further if we don't unveil these things and talk about them openly. Yeah, for sure. And social media definitely seems to be one of the best and most popular ways right now to do that. And 
You know, Ben, with that being said, do you think that you could tell our audience about the main social media platforms, like including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, LinkedIn? And do you think you could kind of go through some of the pros and cons of each platform in regards to marketing? You bet. While I take a uh, Instagram story, snap right now and add it. <laughs> oh, man. That, that's how dynamic social media Hashtag can be. Podcasting. Exactly, exactly. Right now, it, it's on there next to my being sick like a dog, but then now us recording a, uh, you know, a podcast together. So uh, I would say, you know, you, you can start the social media um, journey if you really want to go retro back to stuff like uh, LiveJournal and MySpace. And it was just an, a way for people. I almost feel like there came a point in technology and the world got so big, so to speak, that it needed to get small again. And people were just crying out for a medium, a platform, a channel, a way to reconnect with people in a meaningful way where you didn't feel like it had to be overly formal or you didn't feel like you had to be private and proper. You just wanted to be authentic. Um, eventually, you, you spin that clock forward back to now to present days and you have platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Um, you have uh, aggregation tools like Pinterest and Tumblr. Um, you have blogs, you have YouTube. I mean, the, the thing just goes on and on and I expect it to. And these are just stuff that's popular uh, in North America, not to mention stuff like WeChat and Weibo out in, um, you know, in Asia. So uh, in a quick breakdown, I would uh, say that you can start with Facebook simply because of the usership. There are so many users on Facebook that um, whether you are trying to build a personal brand or if you're a business owner, and you're trying to build a business brand, you can't go wrong with investigating uh, Facebook and how you can build your digital footprint out on Facebook. Um, Facebook is probably the most sophisticated of all the social media platforms simply because it's been around so long and they've intentionally made it that way. They've made it its own ads platform, its own uh, you know, user-generated uh, data marketing tool. It owns a search engine. It's become everything. It has the ability to share photos and videos, uh, as well as internal blog posts that many people use because it just gets a little bit, uh, a little, a little bit cluttered. <laughs> but it's it's become a thing. Uh, and, and Facebook essentially um, is perhaps the the most comprehensive way to to peer through somebody's shop. It's as if it's the uh, the multiple windows in a strip mall that peers into a shop that allows you to see certain aspects of it from the front to the back to say if it was a, uh, a bakery to maybe like the side cook's room where they're preparing the dough. It gives you kind of this glimpse into everything as well as a tangible way for you to walk through the front door. Um, Facebook is wonderful for um, for millennials, for Generation X, and especially for the baby boomer generation because that's the way they like to connect with the rest of their family, especially the grandchildren. Um, if you move into the ecosystem uh, further down, you get to Instagram, uh, which was bought by Facebook, and it started out as a uh, picture sharing platform, uh, and it becomes more linear. Uh, now it's non non chronological, asynchronous, non linear, but uh, it's still linear in a way in that uh, users share pictures or videos or groups of pictures and videos, uh, and people can like them and comment them, uh, and through third party apps they can also share screen cap and do other things with it. Um, but each conversation remains as part of a single content piece. Uh, whereas if you go back to Facebook, uh, you have posts that also have content threads, but you can also share somebody else's post and have an entire conversation aside from that, uh, which makes Facebook a little bit more interconnective in that fashion, uh, unlike what Instagram is, which is uh, you know post by post type threads and, and discussions. Uh, Instagram has recently put together their uh, stories feature, as has Facebook, which is a 24-hour ephemeral uh, video and uh, you know, photographic feed. Uh, and it's a lot of fun to just kind of get a little bit of that FOMO marketing in there. Um, and in that same linear thread is Twitter, which is a little bit more B2C these days, or sorry, sorry C to B, uh, for customers to connect with brands and businesses. Uh, typically, it's more of a customer service oriented thing now, but it's also very much community to community, as well as professional to professional. A lot of professionals prefer to, to engage on Twitter than on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is another social media platform, which is known as the professional uh, social media. And it's a little bit more like an online living resume, uh, but it's also a very good way to get a warmer, cold email through or a cold direct message through for those that do a lot of, of B2B or B2E. Uh, and then you have Snapchat, which is really millennial and under. Uh, most of the users are, uh, you know, like 21 and under, uh, but 
I use it. I love it. It's very, uh, you know, it, it's very, very much ephemeral. There's, uh, you know, everything that you put on Snapchat stories uh, survives only 24 hours unless you save it for repurposing. And it's a way for people to connect with only the people that they want to connect with, which is why it makes the engagement level on Snapchat uh, so record breaking. Uh, an epic compared to a lot of the other uh, platforms where the engagement uh, from a marketer standpoint uh, really is, um, you know, it, 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 it has to be built. Whereas Snapchat is almost uh, intrinsic, just the way that you have to use it on the phone. Uh, I guess the, the 20,000 foot view really is, you know, each of these social medias have their own technological um, and like kind of user quirks. And you can really see it as, as driving a certain uh, make and model of a car. You know, some of these might have, you know, power steering or different types of wheels, or it might be stick shift, uh, but they're all a certain vehicle on the highway of being able to connect with your audience. And I think that's the number one thing that you have to think about as a marketer is these are simply tools as part of an entire ecosystem of how you can connect with your audience in a meaningful and authentic way. And, and when you do that, and you match your uh, audience segments with the right tools, then it doesn't really become um, such an arduous process. It actually becomes more of a game of of actually, you know, like making people chuckle or or you know or, or you know finding ways to gamify your brand in a way that uh, can cause some fun in somebody else's life, uh, rather than going down some kind of sales funnel route. Yeah, Ben, you sold me on Snapchat with the spectacles. Once I got a pair of those, I was in, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love spectacles. There's actually, oh my gosh. Okay. We have to tangent on this for just like 90 seconds. I have to check it out still, but apparently in a local mall, there's a spectacles kiosk and it looks like a minion because of the way they put it together. I haven't seen it yet. My wife told me about it. It looks like a minion, but it's like an eyeball in the middle. And it's actually the, you know, the round fish eye lens of the spectacles capture. And you don't know what it is, but it stops the show. Like everybody that walks by it, they just have to look at it until they can figure out what it is. And then in front is going to be a representative uh, with like a nice looking platter with the three different types of spectacles that you can buy. And all the meanwhile, this minion looking thing with an eyeball is showing you all these cool things that you can do with Snapchat spectacles. Uh, that is pretty cool. Well yeah, done, awesome. Snapchat. Well done. For sure. And coming out with some creative stuff. Ben, how do you feel that overall social media is impacting today's physical therapy students? And what do you foresee for future generations of therapists with regards to social media? I think what we've really seen, especially since I would say the early-ish 20-teens, is that the world has truly gotten smaller. Like I said, I think that as a culture, we as people, we felt the need to connect again and to connect with people that were like-minded, that had similar passions, but were different enough and, and uh, would challenge us and keep us uh, accountable to growth. Um, I think we saw that very strongly, especially in 2013, is kind of like that year I feel like it all kind of blew up in a great way. And what that has done is made the our collegial world a lot smaller. You know, you, you're it's no longer this regional by regional networking. You're just, you know, just reaching across, you know, the map and going, hey, I want to connect with somebody across, you know, Updoc is a great example. You know, like Gene Sharakabrod and myself, we did not physically meet in person until we had been in business for something like uh, eight months. <laughs> we didn't physically shake hands and hug until eight months of having already done business simply because of social media. And you can actually gauge somebody's authenticity and trustworthiness and, and, and you know viability as a business partner just through that. And what we're seeing and what I force, you know, foresee for physical therapy students and practitioners moving forward is that we're going to see a lot more collaboration across programs, across clinics, entities, because social media is going to make it so that the barriers are a lot more shallow than they used to be. You know, I see I see social media as a bridge. It's and it's a bridge that's flexible that can go, you know, across cliffs and and over over mountaintops like in, in ways that, you know, may 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 defy your your uh your typical physics metaphor. Um but in in such a wonderful way because it it makes it so that conversations can start much easier. And that that's probably the key right there is that we can have more conversations. I think that's something that needs to happen for every industry, but you know, for, for this very you know tight knit industry that holds true to its roots, um, that also needs to expand its branches and leaves. That's something that's going to be invaluable for our culture as a profession in physical therapy. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, just seeing the amount of things that social media can do in terms of, A, connecting us with each other, first and foremost. <laughs> but with that being said, you know, Ben, with all the platforms that there are out there and, you know, talking about what you think is going to happen from a person level, what are some changes that you think are going to happen in terms of the platforms? Like, are we going to see certain platforms become more popular overall? Are there new platforms that are up and coming that you think are going to kind of kind of make their way into the field? Or I'm kind of curious on what your what's your take on that? I think we're 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 at a a point where we're getting a little bit of media ubiquity. Um, I think I spoke on this with the uh, PT Tech Talk podcast, uh, where we're at a point in digital media where everybody has everything. You know, I'm thinking way back to kind of when the first AOL discs came out and everybody just used them as, uh, you know, as, as ornaments or something. And at that time, everybody had everything except for AOL because nobody trusted. It was online. Who knew what was going on? Net Zero was there. So, you know, respectable brands and respectable people communicated through the ways we always knew and which at the time was traditional uh, mediums like print, uh, like snail mail, billboards, radio, TV, and that was basically it. You know, magazines maybe. But now we are in a world where media, social media is the contemporary version of print ads. Um, and so I feel that we're at a point where we're seeing this media ubiquity, which means it's time to A, uh, up our production value and B, keep our eyes out for consolidation. That's something that was interesting that occurred early in Internet 1.0 and kind of transitioned to Internet 2.0, which was the ability to curate your own content as a user. And that's something that we're seeing right now, which is uh, consumer users are starting to curate their own footprint and they're trying to curate their own user experience. They don't want to be on every singular, every single platform. They're on multiple because they kind of have to be. And so I, what I expect coming down the road uh, isn't so much new platforms. I'm expecting consolidation of platforms, at least platform experiences. Yeah. Synergy. Exactly. And it kind of goes back to there's a really fun meme out there. Um, it, it says it's been used many ways, uh, some appropriate, not so, some, not some, some not so appropriate, which is the evolution of the size of a cellular phone. You know, it started like absolutely huge, right? Like just these gaudy brick looking things that might as well have been like World War II walkie talkies. And then they kind of scale all the way down to these super, super tiny flip phones and they start to scale up again uh, into kind of your modern day, a very slim profile, but very wide screen, uh, you know, 4K phones um, like the iPhone, the Samsung brands and the, any, any other, you know, touchscreen, pure touchscreen type phones. Well, technology just from my engineering days always goes in cycles. So right now we're, we're at the tip, in my opinion, we're at the tip of that crest where screens are as big as they need to be. Phones are as thin as they need to be. There's way too many apps and way too many social media platforms out there. So what we're going to see is that hill going to roll down again. We're going to see things get smaller and more condensed and a little easier to use uh, with less buttons to push and things to tap and, th you know, screens to swipe uh, so that. F. Scott, like you said, there's going to be a synergy of use. Um, we've, we're seeing this already um, internationally with stuff like WeChat and the Line app, uh, where everything is based off of just that one app because everything integrates. And so you, it, it's almost like direct messaging meets Facebook meets, uh, you know, like your, your Apple wallet uh, and a couple other things and Uber all put into one singular platform. Yeah, for sure. I definitely... Uh... I definitely feel like sometimes, especially for me, I mean, I'm 10 years out now and I'm trying to keep up with all the social media and all the apps and all the tech. And it's, it's tough to do sometimes. So I definitely think people are going to get to that point where they're kind of overwhelmed. And, and the more you can streamline it and bring it all together, it's, it's going to work out for the better. So Ben, I, I know you've done a lot of, um, guest speaking events and, and you've had, uh, some keynote speaker type opportunities and I'm sure there'll be many more in the future, but have you ever done any guest lecturing in the classroom? Uh, and is that an avenue that you feel like you may visit more in the future? I'd be very open to it. I, I've done it sparsely. A lot of it has been done virtually through lunch and learns and like guest business lectures through Skype or through Google Hangouts or any other platform like that. I've even done one through Facebook Live because uh, Skype failed us. So I've done one uh, with the uh, I think Eastern uh, Tennessee State University DBT program. Shout out. And um, I mean, all of that I think started back in about 2013-ish again. Uh, and I've been in person as well to, to speak in um, you know physical programs out at Roanoke, I've done one um, here in San Diego's the San Marcos branch of uh, of um, uh, Saint Augustine 
So uh, the stuff that I have done, and, and I think, uh, you know, I, I very much welcome it if, um, if a program feels that I'd be a, an appropriate match for them. But I would invite all the programs to invite not just alumni, but just anybody of, of local repute uh, to bring in content outside of the usual didactics. I think that is just such a valuable tool because uh, they're right there, you know, boots on the ground in the trenches. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that would attract a lot of students too. So Ben, for the first time on the show, we're going to bust out the time machine for this next one here. So we're going to take, we're going to rewind. We're going to go back around eight or nine years. So if you, Ben, when you're fresh out of DPT school for a few years, and you decided you were going to pursue a role as an adjunct professor in a DPT program, what would you do through online and social media to achieve this? So this is interesting to me, very personally, because my final uh, pre-graduate residency was a teaching residency. I actually opted not to take a clinical residency because I felt that I had pretty strong clinical rotations up until that point. And also, uh, you know, I actually had aspirations to teach. And so I took up a teaching residency where I taught uh, cardiopulmonary rehab alongside of uh, the primary professor. I taught about a quarter of the content, learned about uh, various like test taking and, and different types of teaching uh, strategies in terms of reaching different types of learners. So it was very, very cool stuff. So if I were to use social media and to try to get back in that world, I think the first thing I would do would be to create a footprint of some sort based off of my brand persona. So for myself, uh, I'm a very kinesthetic person. Uh, I'm, I'm also very auditory, uh, but I also feel that I learn the same way I teach. I move a lot. Uh, I like to make noises. I like to throw in a little bit of comedy. And so video would be kind of the uh, avenue I'd like to take. So I'd probably start something uh, like a YouTube channel or a regular uh, you know, social media live broadcast. And I would like to present novel ways of teaching, learning, but also community education. Because I feel that that's a huge miss in our field that also massive opportunity for us to do. And I, I would like to position myself as a content expert or maybe a methodology expert and actually do very much what you guys are doing right now it is to expound on what we're missing in the educational experience. And having both the content proof, then I would like to use social media to create a social proof around my position to perhaps be accepted as uh, an adjunct professor and then eventually an associate and so on and so on. Uh, and then along that path to document it, to document how I decided to share my knowledge, not out of like, here I am teaching you, but really share my knowledge as a, hey, let's share and conversate about these topics. That's what this is about. It's about conversation. And then I would like to share my journey about how I made my way in, got my foot through the door, whether it was through the local DPT program or PTA program or kinesiology department or ATC or whatever it might be. Might be the local, uh, yeah, actually, uh, I want to say in my second year out, I was invited to a master's of nursing program to give a, a little talk on, uh, on musculoskeletal screening for acute care. And so um, any kind of opportunity, I would use that as a shared journey to once again, have that shared win, you know, where my win is everybody else's win because I want it to be. And then get the ball rolling deeper and share and share and so on and so forth. You're hearing that, that theme of sharing. Yeah, for sure. It's a pretty common thing. And, you know, and with that, Ben, you know, you and Gene are constantly giving out free content. And I think the entire uh, PT world has significantly benefited from what you guys have put out through UpDoc Media. Um, but what do you guys, what do you feel are some other ways you feel like you help educate the masses as to real world issues in healthcare and business? Outside of the, the uh, you know, the content that we, we put out there, because I feel like I mean, content is great. Content lives forever. And, and a lot of people know my quote, you know, content is king, marketing is queen, consistency is key. I think what has been added to that is that because the content is put out there, the conversations have been made okay. You know, I think that's the other theme too, is, you know, you share as much as you can for shared gains. And, and I'm not just saying like, you know, sh like give everything away. I'm just saying that where there is mutual gains, we should enjoy those things. Um, but conversations are something that are very, very powerful. Um, it almost reminds me of that, this that one movie quote um, from The Gladiator where Marcus Aurelius said, you know, there was once was a dream that was Rome and you could only whisper it. 
because it was so fragile, you know, and I feel that a lot of these ideas and concepts and, and innovations that are out there, they start out very fragile. They start out as these quiet conversations. We're not sure if they're valid or not. If there's any kind of what's it called compounding gain throughout our industry, throughout our profession that I hope that we've left an imprint or are beginning to live an imprint is the ability to have conversations that we haven't had before. And based off of those conversations, take new actions that we haven't taken on before. You know, a couple of these examples outside of your current podcast, because there's been nothing like this, you know, is, is stuff like early legacy plans that is becoming more and more, more popular where private practitioners have been in the field 40, 50, 60 years. They want an exit strategy. You know, it's, it's been their entire life, but it's also their baby and they want to hand it off to somebody who's worthy, uh, but also have a financial return on it because they have worked that hard, uh, but also set up a, a young developing professional for success, you know, and these legacy things, uh, Plants are, are becoming that much more popular based on the conversations I've had, you know, with new grads going into private practice right out of school, because that's a lot of what other doctoring professionals do. A lot of these things that were you know, previously thought of just as insane, just impossible, there's no way are now being made possible. And I think that's wonderful because we are, are a profession that basically tells the impossible to get real. <laughs> That's what we do. We tell the impossible to get real. We tell you know somebody who's had back pain for 40 years, you're going to get better. And many of them do. We, we tell the spinal cord injury patient that, you know, hey, if it's at all possible and, you know, stars line up and we do our best, you just might walk again. You know, we tell the grandparent who has this crazy stroke that looks awful on the MRI. That, hey, look, we're going to be here every step of the way. Every step you take, we're going to take with you and you're going to get stronger. And we'll see where that goes. And eventually they walk again and they get to walk home. We tell impossibility to get real and we make them realities. And I think that is, you know, I hope that is what uh, we can leave as an imprint um, together is, is to make what we've once thought impossible, new realities uh, th through conversation and innovation. Wow. Really powerful stuff, Ben. I appreciate your insight on that. I think we might need to make a t-shirt out of that one. Yep. You're here. <laughs> Let's so Ben, you're, you're not practicing as much in the clinic anymore, right? Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your daily routine? What does a day in the life of Ben Fung look like? Day of life Ben Fung is crazy. <laughs> I think it's best narrated from nighttime. I'm kind of a night owl just by who I am. And so um, typically my, my day, my night starts somewhere around 10, 1030. And that's where I start to get a lot of good work done. Or I choose to rest. It just kind of... It, Starts right there. Um, if I've worked really hard the day before or I worked worked out really hard uh, during that day, then I will take that time for myself and, and spend some time with uh, my wife and we just hang out and binge watch something Star Wars-y <laughs> for 90 yes. minutes. You know, but other than that, um, it, I, otherwise I do a lot of my best content work at night just because the, the, the house is quiet and nothing's going on uh, and I just get this weird clarity late at night. And so I'll work as long as I can or as I need to. And that may or may not take me till 1, 2 a.m., sometimes 3, just to kind of depends on how much kind of umph I have or how much epiphany I've received repeatedly or how tired I am, because that might end at 12. <laughs> and we'll see. But typically about, about till you know 12 or 1 is usually what happens. And then, you know, sleep comes. And then if I have uh, East Coast calls or any kind of like time sensitive deliverables that are East Coast oriented, then uh, I'll be up pretty early, you know, five or six is early here in San Diego, <laughs> six or seven still early here in San Diego. Um, but I, I like to, I like to get up in what many consider the mid mornings, which is kind of the eight, nine zone. Uh, and then I'll just make sure that the team is organized at UpDoc, um, as well as any other things that I need for like a, a customer clientele facing stuff. Uh, and then for the rest of the day, it's very much fluid and intermittent. I might go to the, the gym where uh, I've been picking up Muay Thai, uh, or I might uh, hang out with family a little bit while I get work done, which is the nice thing about having a digital business is I can get work done anywhere. I've taken many consultation calls out of Disneyland, which I'm uh, very proud and happy to say that I am. It's, it's hilarious. You're like, are you at a, are you at a fair? I was like, no, no, that's, that's Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Must be rough, Ben. Must yeah, be rough. terrible. Um, but it's not easy all the way through. I mean, it's, it definitely wasn't easy starting out this business. You know, this the whole hockey stick thing. You lose a lot of money before you make money. Um, you know, I had to take out my retirement fund, uh, pay the taxes on that and whatnot, just to, uh, to seed some of the household finances to getting this stuff started. So that's kind of like a rough painting. You know, I, I don't see uh, formal client, uh, patient clients anymore. Uh, I 
used to for cash, but that those days are done. And uh, I, I do what I can to keep my training partners uh, at uh, Rebellion Martial Arts. Shout out. Uh, keep them as uh, healthy and injury free as possible or, or training injury uh, with injury smart and modified activities and all that jazz. Um, and then it really just does depend. I mean, there'll be days like this where we're recording podcasts. Other times I'm on live broadcasts at random times of the day, uh, syncing up with uh, the UpDoc team, some of the UpDoc interns, uh, people I mentor, some of the Pathfinder uh, members, which is uh, the um, the mentorship group that I run. Uh, there could be a case where I'm out uh, for a business lunch or coffee or out speaking, uh, any number of things. Uh, for the most part, I, I think you can say that it's consistently inconsistent, except for uh, the uh, the three consistencies is that you, at any given day or time, uh, you know that family's on my mind, uh, that I keep myself uh, healthy and well-trained through martial arts is on my mind, and uh, making sure that I'm creating good content is on my mind. Ben, do you think you could tell us a little bit about the difference in how a DPT program is structured in general and an MBA program is structured and some of the similarities and some of the differences regarding those two? That is a great topic. Uh, I was thinking about this uh, probably around the time you guys uh, started to, you know, chat together and create this podcast. And I was thinking to myself, uh, because I was talking with one of my former professors, um, and I was thinking to myself, you know, my MBA experience was uh, completely online. It was this online kind of executive blend MBA through the University of Michigan. And uh, there was nothing I had to do in terms of travel. Everything I did was through, um, it was Blackboard and then turned to another type of uh, education platform, dashboard type thing. Uh, and so nothing I had to do was severely time dependent. Like I didn't have to show up to class and click and log in. I didn't have to you know, physically arrive anywhere. Everything I, I needed, I could get online uh, on a modular level. So I, it's not like I could just put everything off to the end. Like every week I had to keep up with conversations, discussions and video chats and assignments. But it wasn't like, you know, Monday from eight till 11, I had to be there for anatomy. It was just, you know, show up as when, when you can make sure you get the work done because that's what matters most, getting the work done on by the deadline. So the MBA experience was very, um, it was very freeing. I was actually able to finish over half of it while working full time. And then, uh, you know, kiddo got born and I decided uh, to take work easy <laughs> and finish the MBA because that's a life investment. So uh, my experience with the MBA showed me that digital education is just as powerful um, and that, you know, it doesn't have to be in the classroom per se. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. The educational process used to be super classroom and textbook oriented because that's where the content was kept. But now the content could be kept anywhere because we, you know, have online and digital and virtual solutions. Compare that to the DPT experience. Um, I went to Azusa Pacific University, loved it. Um, great team of professors there, very nurturing uh, environment as a whole. And, uh, it was the usual, I mean, it kind of sounds like my work life right now, you know, I didn't really sleep. You know, I started studying late at night, walking empty school halls or whatnot. And, uh, we're staying way too, you know, out too late at uh, diners and coffee shops to study, uh, went home, crashed, woke up, you know, about seven ish, got to school eight, you know, eight to 12 is something. And then you have a lunch break, 11 to five is something you have a dinner break. And then if you have a evening lab, you had evening lab. If not, then you ate and you studied. Um, and, and that's great for getting like a very intensive work in there. But I did feel like from an optimization standpoint that a lot of the lecture material could have been handed out earlier. And I, I don't think they had the technology at the time, um, other than to, to kill a bunch of trees, you know, and, uh, I felt like a lot of the uh, non-lab-based didactics could have been disseminated to me uh, at earlier periods. And I, I do understand that they're currently doing that now. They've actually been doing it for a number of years, uh, which is awesome to hear because they're trying to keep up with that uh, that innovation uh, curve on education. And so the the probably the greatest contrast, contrast I can share between the MBA and the DPT didactics was that the MBA was all about results on time. And it had a lot to do with getting it right the first time. Because that's the way the business rolls. But clinical teachings are a little different. You know, there's, there's that famous saying in PT, it depends. And so there needs to be a certain level of flexibility there. And I think that that is, is needed and warranted because they're two different fields. 
Uh, but the the ba- biggest difference I would say would been the structure is the irony of the structure, as ironic as it could possibly be. Business being as specific as it needs to be had the most flexible platform for learning, but the clinical world, which needs to be super flexible, actually had the most rigid. Now I'm not sure if that's good or it's bad, um, but I can share that that was the experience. And I, I think that there's definitely a discussion to be had about how they can learn from each other. Yeah. Wow. That's wild, Ben. I, you know, when you take a step back and you really think about that, I mean, that it almost seems counterintuitive the way that we're running both programs. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, ben, we generally like to ask all of our guests this last question as we kind of wrap things up. Um, but if you could change one aspect of higher education, DPT or otherwise, what aspect would you change and how would you go about changing it? I would change the candidacy process. And I think I need to double back before I can explain how to change it, uh, is so many programs, and rightfully so, there is some legitimate research out there on, on GPA and how that uh, leads to success in grad school and uh, GRE scores and all that stuff. Like There's a lot of research there, and I, and I agree with it. But there's also a lot of intangibles when it comes to betting on the number versus betting on the person. Uh, and I think that's what I really, you know, to, to give it details, uh, that's what I would like to change is I would like to change the way candidates are measured and processed for acceptance. To me, there's too much weight in this world. And this is coming from a numbers guy. There's too much weight in this world that tries to quantify the qualities of a person. And I think that, you know, I think that that betrays us a little bit uh, as a society, but definitely uh, as as a profession of, of physical therapists and physical therapy assistants where, before you even get a chance, before you even get an interview, if you don't have the numbers to stack, then that's already game over. And again, there is research to back that. I'm not denying it. I'm not knocking it. Uh, but I also feel like you're you're changing the wild card. Um, to quote popular lore, I think one of my favorite uh, movie lessons uh, is from the movie Gattaca. And uh, it was, you know, this like kind of like a post-utopian or, pre- or maybe it's a current utopian society. People are supposed to go to Mars, something like that. And uh, only the genetically... Uh, advanced and perfect get to, um, you know, elevate their lives to live on Mars, to get out of the slum of the earth. Um, but the person that gets to go up actually turned out to be the most genetically imperfect who had, uh, you know, born with, uh, you know, heart problems and is left-handed and all these different things. And, um, yeah, then that's a personal hit on my note, which I can only extend, you know, eternal gratitude towards my professors is accepting this guy, this San Diego surfer who is, and continues to be immature <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and just doesn't take life that seriously with a 2.8 GPA and an, a basically average GRE score. But they took the time to get to know me. They took the time to interview me and to see what I was really about, to see what would happen when, you know, when when the rubber meets the road, when, when the grit is on the line and you have to have the intestinal fortitude to go through something like graduate school. It isn't always about the numbers. And it's funny because they said that too during orientation uh, was the, uh, the chair said, you know, if you, if you look around, there's many of you that came in here with uh, distinction undergraduate, not an easy task, no matter where you are. There's also some of you that barely came in here by the skin of your pants and, uh, or skin of your teeth or whatever that thing is called. And, um, and, and you guys are on probation. I was one of them, but here I am, you know, I think I came with the second lowest GPA but I graduated top three in my class, you know, and, and it's not like a testament to just my individual capabilities. I think it's a testament to my professor at the time that had the fourth sight to say, Hey, this guy's made of something that we can actually mold into something powerful and useful to our profession. And that's what I would do to go about changing is I would, I would make the, the candidacy process. And I think technology has to be part of the solution. Uh, is to look at, hey, who is this person really? Can we get some interview-based qualifiers before we knock them simply because they don't have the GRE scores for it or they don't have the GPA scores? Like, what is the actual story here? And there are there are softwares out there that are trying to crack this code in, in the uh, in the HR and employment world. Um, but I, that's what I would love to see is is to see the world of academics serve as the first bridge between you know pre grad from real life. And then post-grad real life uh, so that not everything is based on on only the numbers that may not tell the whole story. Yeah, Ben, I, I could not agree with you more. Like I said, my story kind of aligns very closely with yours where didn't have a great GPA. 
but I think, you know, some of my imperfections, if you will, or my little intricacies, like being an English major and being able to communicate pretty well, got me into PT school. It got me that interview at least. And that is where I was able to kind of shine and show that, you know, the intangibles are there, you know, and you would have missed them had you just gone by GPA. I actually at, at Wake Forest there shortly after I graduated uh, from undergrad, they were one of the first schools to get rid of SAT and ACT scores for entrance, um, wow. which was awesome. And I wish wow. that more and I'm sure they will. More schools will follow. But, um, you know, that to me was almost a little bit of a confidence boost for me going into grad school because I was like, well, if they don't really care about this and I did pretty well, you know, and was able to graduate, maybe these grad schools won't care as much, you know. And, and I, I almost feel like what you were saying, it we almost need to look at entrance into graduate programs or into even undergraduate programs in a portfolio type way, you know, where a person puts together a life portfolio or a brand, right? And that's kind of what we take a look at. Yeah, the grades are a part of it, but it's not the whole story, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure, Scott. And, you know, and even so, you know, not even just that in, you know, in academia, but even so far in terms of like management with employers and you know, having that transition over and, you know, and getting to know the tangibles and intangibles of every individual. I'm like, you know, we can even apply that to the clinical model, you know, when a patient comes in, like a patient comes in and they may have all these poor prognostics, but if they have all these other intangibles, like they're very motivated and they have a good support system, it's like they could still do really well. Right. Absolutely. So Ben, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. And for all the great insight that you provided our listeners. Would you mind telling our audience where they can find you on social media and on the internet? So uh, website-wise, you guys can go straight to updocmedia.com. That's U-P-D-O-C media.com. And all of my social media handles, my Facebook page, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat are Dr. Ben Fung. That's D-R-B-E-N-F-U-N-G. And for those of you that just like to text or email, email is ben at updocmedia.com. And you can always feel very welcome to text me because uh, calling is tricky because of you heard how fluid my days are. <laughs> it's not easy to pick up the phone all the time. Uh, you can text me at 470-BEN-FUNG. Awesome, nice. Ben. Well, Thanks again so much for your time. It was great talking with you tonight. Always a pleasure, fellas. And and thank you guys for doing it. You know, thank you guys for creating some of the first ways of disruption, which can only serve as innovation going forward in, in, in education, because you know, we all know it needs to be improved. Like there's if education is taught as anything, you know, education always needs to be improved. And I think you guys are are serving as a very significant part of it. Uh it's just uh what piece that is, only the future can tell. Right. And, you know, and thanks to you, Ben, for being the connector for that to allow that to happen. <laughs> and there it is. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.